Hi everyone, this is Austin welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, Episode 2. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Rucker, scribe for The Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each seeker who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. To do so, you may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Is everybody here and ready to go? We are ready. I am indeed. Well, our first question, jumping straight into it, comes from Lisa B., who submitted it via Bring Forth. And Lisa asks a very good question. She says, I was reading Kuo today and happily happenstanced in an old channeling where Hatan differentiated between righteous anger and anger stemming from a sense of unworthiness. I was thrilled. I would like to ask what can be done when there is a sense of anger, when there has been a true breach of fairness, whether it be within a family or whether it be family or societally. What does one do when there is more than a perceived hurt and someone has truly hurt or stolen from another intentionally? Something obviously unfair and damaging, even in a service-to-self way. So much of the philosophy that we are learning has to do with loving the self throughout catalyst that is triggered without unfairness being involved, and I have always had trouble associating that with a true injustice like racial discrimination or stealing or lying. What can one do under those circumstances? Of course, the extreme is to bless the person and thank them for their offering and decline the invitation to be enslaved. But is that the only solution? In this reading today, for example, the woman asking about her unhappiness on the job and not being paid for work has Kuo suggesting she be practical and find a job that does indeed pay her for so that she may do her part for her family, and also to appreciate her gifts of the day and the abundance of the day. My question is, what is the appropriate action when there has been a true injustice? What is done with that anger? How is love and how is wisdom applied, and how even is power applied? I think that's a deep question, right for a lot of thought. Yeah, there's a lot that can be mined from that one. Sounds like Jim was just about ready to go. Do you think so? <laughs> uh, well, remember, Ross said there are no mistakes. So even when you see a situation where you think there's been some righteous anger generated through true injustice, if you look deeper, you discover that there are other forces and factors to be considered. 
uh, each of us before incarnation makes a general kind of a plan as to lessons we want to learn. And sometimes it's necessary in order to learn certain lessons to program in the occurrence of what would seem to be, to a third density entity, an injustice. Maybe done to you, or maybe you do to somebody else. Or any other kind of difficulty that one would think uh, couldn't possibly be helpful. All of these situations are helpful. We learn so much about ourselves and how to open our hearts and love under the most difficult of situations. It's easy to learn to love someone like your mother or your father or your wife or so forth. But if we have more challenges and learn to love people that maybe wouldn't, re- wouldn't draw that love out of us to start with so easily unless we really got down to below the surface of the interaction between us. So in general, I'd say there isn't any real difference between one type of anger or another or what to do about it. Uh, the answer to all these solutions or solutions usually to uh, learn to open the heart more in some fashion. And it doesn't always just have to be due to love or to learning love. There can be other lessons intertwined. Uh, it's um, an incredible... Ra calls the balancing process the untangling process. I think untangling is a really good concept to consider here because there's so much that goes into everything that occurs to us in our lives. And nothing can really be taken for the surface appearance. Everything is a symbol for something much deeper. So, next... Uh, I'll take a shot at it and um, trying to build off gyms. I think it's important um, in terms of anger itself to honor the anger, to look at it, to put your awareness on it. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean expressing it or venting it, though uh, perhaps that is exactly what you need. Um, but it definitely doesn't mean... Uh, rather, this philosophy doesn't suggest that you should repress it or deny it or try to say, no, 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 I can't feel anger. I'm a loving being. I need to love. Um, I think you need to process that emotion and um, investigate it. Ask yourself why it's there, what it's doing. Accept that it is there. Accept that it is part of you. Um, accept the circumstances to which it seems tied. And um, I think that those are some steps to take along the way that will transmute that anger into higher perception and higher energies, which is not to say that anger is bad, just that it's a fragmented, limited energy, and um, it's, it's a distortion of love. And using love, it can be transmuted back into love, and the viewpoint can be widened. Um, this, this philosophy some of its central tenets indicate that everything is perception and all catalyst is self-generated and the self is the only domain we have any right to do work uh, that doesn't mean though that injustices don't happen injustices do happen and and people do intentionally harm one another and abridge free will and seek to cause suffering and as Jim was indicating um, those actions may be part of a bigger plan. You may have wanted to expose yourself to that in one form or another. It's difficult to know, but um, it is precisely these situations that test us and offer a mirror to us and show us to ourself with 
to ourselves without that injustice um, you might be inclined to think that you're a perfectly loving being and then in, in, in witnessing an injustice you realize that hold on a minute I, there are some limits um, to the conditions I place on love and uh, Lisa you also ask about what do we do what are the solutions and uh, to me as I approach the path and I'm only offering a sounding board for you um, there's a there's a couple levels to solutions and to what we do and the first is the level of being um, I think there's there's certain practices that we can put into place that pull our attention back from the illusion and reorient ourselves towards unity and being. And those practices include uh, trusting that all is well, trusting in the rightness of the moment, giving praise and thanksgiving for each moment, accepting the moment as it is, finding the love within the moment, uh, seeing all as the creator, so on and so forth. Uh, ultimately, though, from the standpoint of being, there's this paradox where all activity and all effort is released. And what, to my understanding, is a supremely focused state of presence and surrender. Uh, we release all of our efforts to do something in favor of abiding in what we already are. We stop striving and grasping and avoiding, and we simply be what we already are. Um, to me, the, this is kind of paradoxically, again, a, often a result of a long-term discipline. Um, it's out of this beingness, and the more conscious the beingness, the, the better. Uh, it, it is out of this beingness that real, creative, outer-level, practical solutions do arise. But it is from this level of beingness that we most powerfully affect the world. I mean, your righteous anger wants to righteously right the injustice and undo the wrong and make the world a better place. And according to the Confederation philosophy and mystics in general, the best way to right those injustices is to shine your light and to rest in that deep ocean of peace that is beingness itself. And I shall turn it over to Austin. I'm not sure how much there is left to say. <laughs> um, those are both great answers. I'll go ahead. We typically prepare our answers beforehand, Gary and I especially. So there might be some redundancies in my answer to what both Jim and Gary said. But I'll go ahead and go through my whole spiel. Um, I think Lisa's asking about a type of anger that is uh, quote-unquote legitimate rather than something that is just being projected. But on my own path as a seeker, I never really presume to feel like there is an objective uh, truth or, or an objective injustice or that my anger is objectively justified in some way. I always treat it the same as if I am uh, coloring a situation with my own biases and perceptions because I think that even if there is some sort of uh, legitimate or legitimacy to being angry within a situation, it can always still be slightly colored with our own biases towards a certain situation. And I think it's always good to continually uh, look at this anger and... Uh, 
contemplate it and meditate with it and try to figure out if there is something of yourself within that anger. If you are uh, pointing anger outwards, that you would actually be pointing inwards instead, what they call projection. So uh, because of this, I pretty much approach all anger in the same way. Uh, According to Ra, trying to suppress anger, like Gary was saying, and trying to ignore it is not a good idea. Because when we do this, the anger can get buried in our unconscious mind. And at some point in the future, probably at a less justified point in the future, it will rear its head and we will uh, take it out on somebody and maybe hurt somebody without really intending to. Uh, However, once we reach a certain level of self-awareness, I think it's a good idea to at least restrain ourselves in the moment with anger, not necessarily suppress it and ignore it, but try to restrain our actions or our words so that we don't act in a way that might hurt somebody in the heat of the moment, because we can't know within the heat of that moment whether or not our anger is something that is just a personal bias Uh, or whether it is actually justified. So, uh, Ross said, uh, the key to balance may be seen in the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest response towards uh, experiences, and thus using the experience to the utmost, then applying the balancing exercises and achieving the proper attitude for the most purified spectrum of energy center manifestation. And so, while in the moment you can't really see where the anger is coming from, you can come back to it later. Uh, At the end of the day, like Ross suggested, go through the day and figure out where you may have been emotionally charged and contemplate and meditate with it. And Lisa asks at the end of the question, how is love applied, how is wisdom applied, and how is power applied? So I did my best to try to figure out individually how each of these could be applied to processing anger. And so the way that I see love being applied in a situation is to bless the anger and love it as a part of yourself, uh, as part of being human, as part of the creator. Love yourself for being angry. Love the person or the situation uh, at which you are angry. And it's not necessarily to say that you should replace the anger with love, but allow and accept the anger as it is and hold an accepting viewpoint As you examine this anger, don't judge it and don't judge yourself and don't judge the other people in the situation. Uh, And then how is wisdom applied, I think, is in the balancing and the contemplation. And to balance, as Ra suggested, would be to sit with the anger and simply allow it to be, still viewing it in love and acceptance, but allowing it to fill our experience and to really try to feel the full spectrum of anger without judging it, and uh, bring up the situation again, and relive it, and really try to relive that emotion of anger that you were feeling in the moment, and then recognize the antithesis of this anger, and allow it to naturally arise once the anger is purified in your experience. And then, once that is done, I think it's good to contemplate the anger. Think about the situation, ask yourself what kind of biases you hold that caused this anger to arise. Try to feel it in your body and see if you can kind of identify where along the energy spectrum this anger might be stemming from. And uh, find out if this anger is, might actually be a replacement for another emotion, because that can happen often as well. Uh, when there are more vulnerable emotions, sometimes we uh, conjure anger to protect ourselves from those more vulnerable emotions. So always try to see if there's something deeper beneath the anger.
And I think that after that is done, the anger begins to take another shape. Carla would always talk about distilling emotions and purifying them to where they become clearer and we could actually see the love within them. And I think that anger, when it is distilled, becomes something closer to uh, clarity or motivation. And um, the fire and the light of anger becomes less destructive and becomes more revealing. And I think uh, with that clarity from the anger, we can then contemplate how we wish to react to the situation if it were to arise again or if we need to act further. And uh, we can ask ourselves what our goal is for that situation, what we want to happen in that situation. And I think that's where the power comes in. Now, how I would define power is how we... Um, how we act and how we move forward and how we manifest our thoughts. And so once you contemplate what is your goal in the situation, whether it's to share love, bring understanding, uh, try to help another person view a, a perspective they are not seeing, share uh, how you feel something might be an injustice, and hopefully get other people to maybe see that as an injustice as well. So the injustice might uh, stop at some point. Uh, I think this is how power is applied, is in moving forward from this love and from this wisdom that you've applied to the situation, and then essentially doing that over and over again. Each time you experience anger, each time you experience any emotional charge, uh, going back, accepting it, experiencing it, blessing it, and uh, balancing it and then moving forward from that and uh, essentially changing the way that you act from situation to situation based on the discovery that you've had with this process. But that was a great breakdown of love, wisdom, and power in that particular situation. Nice job. Thank you. Um, the power aspect is something I've always not fully grasped. Would you guys say that my definition of power, would you agree with that, or would you have slightly altering definitions? I like that you connected it to a motivating factor. Um, anger does seem to have a sort of, you called it, a fire. And it does seem to have that sort of property. It kind of compels one to take action. Um, I guess you could be stationary and sit and stew, but you want to uh, you want to say something. You want to do something. Usually, you want to run out the door and shout. And it's usually a little less focused than you will eventually be once you go through the anger, because right away expressing the anger doesn't really seem to get to the point of why you might be angry or what there is in there to learn. So you kind of have to wade through the debris of the anger and the expression of the anger and then finally settle down into focusing on what it all means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anger by definition is not self-reflective. It uh, is usually strongly projected outward towards uh, the object that has earned your ire. Yeah, or ourselves. We oh, yeah. can ourselves be that object. It's still sort of an objective thing. Uh, but it can be towards ourselves, and we can get very angry with ourselves. Yeah, totally. And I think for people upon this path, like Lisa is saying, that the anger 
typically, after a certain point, comes about when we view what we consider injustices. And I guess injustice in this sense is when we see somebody suffering at the hands of another person. And I think it's completely natural for people on our path of service to others to feel compelled to reduce suffering of others. We view it as suffering of the whole, of our as our own suffering and suffering of the Creator. So I think it's natural that when we see that, we are motivated to do something. But the, whatever it is, our upbringing through evolution or just within our lives, it sort of... Uh, we have sort of a shotgun effect where we just kind of go off and uh, as Jim was saying, it's not really focused. We just get angry and it just kind of goes everywhere. But once we really distill it, I think that we can see clearly what is motivating us and uh, try to move in a more focused and compassionate way. Yeah, it could be in terms of its motivating factor, it could be um, the invitation Maybe that's not the best word. It could be that which shakes us out of our complacency or apathy. We finally get so angry that we want to do something about it. And then, hopefully, the entity with some spiritual discipline will um, move to process that anger and refine it into a higher energy. But at its uh, initial phases, anger might have um, a sort of beneficial effect in certain situations, at least. Yeah, and to underline the point again is just to don't judge yourself for being angry. And you may have hurt somebody within your anger. Uh, you can apologize, request forgiveness, but ultimately you have to forgive yourself if you uh, are angry in a situation and do some sort of harm. And uh, accept your anger as part of who you are and not necessarily something that you will want to express in the future in such a harmful way, but uh, you, when you judge yourself, that, as Ross says, creates further distortion, and that is sort of a suppression of the anger. So, uh, do we have anything else to say about Lisa's question about anger? I think we did it. Alrighty. We've got a, about ten minutes left. Scott M. sent in a message with various points. Uh, n not necessarily questions, but thoughts for consideration. So I figure we can start going through them, and uh, if we don't finish, then we can pick them up next week. Uh, Scott wrote via email. He says, Greetings in the love and the light of the creator of foreverness. My study of the law of one inclines beginning the search of knowledge within myself. However, such search reminds me that other selves are essentially different units of perspective slash consideration for the one which of which I am a part. So, in efforts to account for more perspectives slash considerations that I value, I'd like to offer some of my postulations on the Law of One for your consideration and feedback. And number one is, it's my assumption that if service to self endeavors are carried out without violating the free will <laughs> of others and without cruel intentions, there shouldn't be karmic debt. <laughs> well, the way he's defined service to self is, is actually service to others. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, uh, service to self has the intention of enslaving and getting one's power. So, it's, it's not something that can be without karmic debt. 
that was my take on it too. I think there was a misunderstanding in his postulate there. Um, if certain actions did not violate the free will of another, they would not, by definition, be service to self and nature. Uh, they would be, at best, service to others' actions, or at minimum, non-polarizing actions. Um, to tr- maybe uh, play Scott's advocate, <laughs> let's say that. Um, uh, a service to self entity convinces another being that the best thing for them to do is to uh, become enslaved in one sense, maybe not explicitly, but become enslaved by that service to self entity and to uh, work for that. And, and they are not directly with brute force uh, manipulating that person's free will, but allowing them to make the choice to be enslaved rather than trying to force it. Would you say that free will in that situation is being abridged? No. Uh, Ra mentioned how uh, the lower-level negative-oriented entities are willing slaves to those who are more powerful so they can learn how to be more powerful and eventually revolt. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Uh, what about you, Gary? How do you feel about that? Uh, is, does that violate free will by convincing another entity to act in service to self ways? Uh, so far as I can tell by examination of that scenario, I suppose that wouldn't violate another's free will to lay the case before them and say these this is a the situation, these are the facts, this is how you can polarize service to self, but it's your choice, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you what to do. Uh, I suppose in that case, that's... Uh, I don't know. You're in, in that particular case, you're promoting a, a service-to-self philosophy and promoting that the reinforcement of the illusion and the abridgment of others' free will. But that particular entity you're talking to is, I guess, not having their free will violated. Yeah, well, Ra talks about uh, a certain point in the material unintentional slavery, or uh, is that what they termed it, unintentional slavery? And so I'm feeling like Scott's maybe asking about maybe that's how service to self entities are able to move forward on their path without accruing karmic debt, is to sort of put into place a situation where unintentional slavery arises where they are not, you know, forcefully enslaving other beings, but sort of making it to where, sort of skewing the environment to where other beings might um, choose a path where they aren't realizing that they're enslaved, uh, but they are, in a sense, acting in the favor of that entity which put into action those situations. Um so I think that's what Scott's kind of getting at, is maybe some service itself entities are more direct in their abridgment of free will, but if they are uh, allowing others to maintain their free will while creating a situation that guides that free will down a path of slavery, does that still accrue karmic debt? And I think, uh, to jump to the other side and not play Scott's advocate, I think that is still sort of an abridgment of free will. It might not be direct, 
But if you are manipulating things to get your way and to make other entities act in a way that they otherwise wouldn't act without your involvement, I think there is a bit of karmic debt in that. I think that you are abridging free will, maybe in a more elevated sense than direct uh, forceful enslavement, but you're still uh, being manipulative and possibly not being very truthful and... um, I think that it still would sort of carry karma. Um, Gary, there was one point I remember you referenced a Kuo channeling that talked about karma for the service to self-entities. Do you remember like paraphrasing what exactly it was Kuo said? No need to paraphrase. I had already brought it up um, oh, cool. as this discussion began to incorporate the... or began to focus more on negative karma. So... Um, I personally have not really understood how karma works for the negative entities. I mean, much less the positive path. I'm a little fuzzy on the exact mechanics of karma. But um, So, in 2008, I asked Quo on this topic. Uh, I said, Ra says of karma that an entity that acts in a consciously unloving manner in action with other beings can become karmically involved. They also say that the stoppage of the inertia of action may be called forgiveness. That raises an interesting question considering that in order to polarize, the negative entity is consciously attempting to exclude the energies of the heart chakra from all of its interactions with other selves. Um, By that definition, then, the negative entity is always acting in a way which includes what we would call karma. So what then is karma to the negative entity? And if the negative entity accumulates such a thing as karma, how does the negative entity alleviate karma? And Kuo says, to answer that query, we must put you into the negative mindset. To the negative mindset, karma is delicious. The building up of it is delicious. There is joy in creating more karma because this is the byproduct of control over others and manipulation of others. Consequently, there is no attempt to alleviate karma in the service to self path, but only to own the edge of rage and anger until it is ever more penetrating and ever more effective. So that's the the best I've had to go on in terms of what karma is to the negative entity. And it, it makes sense to me that it would be a desirable thing to negative entities. Yeah, I think the question that you gave to Kuo was phrased greatly because according to Ra, the negative entity does not access the heart center. And essentially all of their actions, they are not in a loving consideration of other entities. And in fact, like uh, you said, acting in a consciously unloving manner. They aren't doing what they do out of love. They are doing to accrue their own power, to use others for that power. And I think that no matter the situation, even if you are getting somebody, if somebody feels like they still have free will, but you have still manipulated the situation to where they're serving you through their free will, I think that would still be accruing karma. And uh, according to Kuo, negative entities don't really care much about that. They They don't try to alleviate karma. Yeah, in their interaction with the person that they're trying to essentially recruit, um, to the service of self path or 
the person to whom they're promoting service to self philosophy, they're not doing so from a position of love. They're not doing so because they love this other being and, and want to give them a, a choice so that they can choose. Uh, even in offering it and respecting the entity's choice, if if that's at all possible. I mean, there still must be some underhanded manipulation there. They're still really banking on one outcome. Yeah, it's not true free will. They, it's like an illusion of free will. Yeah, they're using it as strategically as a strategy to lure the entity in. Right. And uh, on this question too, I was trying to find it in the Law of One, but I believe that Ra mentions the higher density negative beings attempting to trick the positive entity um, by trick them into giving up their own free will and that being the ideal course for the negative entities rather than direct abridgment um, they create a situation where the entity the positive entity is fooled into being manipulated does that ring a bell with either of you guys? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do. And I think that's uh, part of the key to this question, too, is they don't uh, do that in order to avoid karma. They do that because I think it's probably a more efficient way to control others when they don't realize that they're really being controlled. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that hits the nail on the head. It is a more efficient way to control. Alrighty. Uh, any more to say about Scott's first point? Not for me. All done here. Alrighty. I think that we are at the end of our time. Any last words, Jim? Well, we just want to thank everybody once again for sending in questions. Those are what we live on, and we really appreciate it. And we want to let everybody know we love you. Hope you have a great week. Thank you so much. You have been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those of you who submitted questions. If you'd like to ask us a question uh, before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk with you then.